All right, folks, what's going on? This is Jake Hofer, and this is Land Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We are getting back to regular scheduled programming, um, and it is great. So this episode, we have Neil Hogger. Neil was on the episode or the podcast here on an episode September 7th. It was released, creating income off wreck ground and five major factors that make land worth more. And it was a really great conversation. Neil's been in the business for quite some time. He is a... Uh, I feel like top producer is kind of a funny word in the world of real estate, but I would put him in the top producer category, does a lot of business, and it's always a pleasure to have him on here and get some insight from him and what he has learned over the years in the business. Now, in that episode, he alluded to a parcel that he bought and was and is going to flip. Now, that has happened, and he has basically broke down what what he did well, what he would do differently, and everything else that goes along into a transaction like this. And I think that the goal of this podcast is to help people become more, I guess, acclimated with the world of real estate and learning from others, learning from other people's mistakes to basically save you from them and hopefully keep more money in your pocket and more buying power and just more savvy. So that this episode definitely accomplishes that goal in my mind. And so just to break down here, Neil bought the the parcel. It was a 60. He sold the cabin and 10 acres for 175,000, and then the 50 acres for 125,000. So that will help um, as you keep that in the back of your mind. Now, I think something that I've always heard just from different people, and there's a stigma or a negative connotation with people who buy parcels and end up splitting them up. But I I get it. But at the same point, it allows people to get into the market that otherwise would not have been able to. So for instance, you have someone take a big chunk. Um, They had the means and the funds to go buy a large parcel. And if they decide to sell off half of it or a quarter of it or sell, you know, four, four, four quarters of it, that allows four people who would not have been able to buy that large piece to go in and buy one of these cheaper pieces. And the other interesting thing is with people that do that, a lot of them are not hanging on to every little last penny and every last little dollar. They're priced to sell and they're not going to let a deal walk over something silly where I've seen other deals get hung up over smaller items. So that's the thing with it. I mean, I would keep that in the back of your mind. I mean, they are providing the service to the marketplace by allowing people to buy parcels that would not have been available otherwise. So that's just something I kind of I consider, I get it. There's definitely a stigma to it, but regardless, um, Neil was able to help basically sell 10 acres in a cabin to someone that wanted to buy it and uh, sell a wreck piece of 50 acres too. So um, really interesting things that he learned along the way in this flip. And we hope you guys take some notes, learn a thing or two. And if you do enjoy it, there's always the email sign up and you can always leave a written review Um, That would help us out a ton and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Let's get right into the conversation. All right, we are live. I have Neil Hogger here back. Once again, we talked this summer and you were in the process of doing a flip and you let me know that, hey, it's finished up. I have my spreadsheet in front of me. I did some things well. I did some things I would do differently. And we're here to talk all about that and hopefully provide some insight to someone else that wants to learn, you know, learn through other people's experiences because it's a lot cheaper to do that than learn it on yourself. So we appreciate you, you kind of uh, hopping on here today. Mm-hmm. Neil, if you want to give a kind of a quick additional intro of yourself in case people did not catch the last episode. Okay, sure. Well, first, 
thanks for having me back because yeah we've been talking on the phone on and off now for a couple months at least and i really like doing this stuff it's fun and i know i listen to these podcasts like all the time yours and a few others for that matter different things and mm-hmm. you know I, I find it's just a great it's just a great medium to learn and hear about what other guys are doing and sometimes you know you learn nothing other times you think gosh i never even thought of that you think you know everything and then all of a sudden you hear some guy say something and it's kind of get it you get it added into your repertoire of tools and then all of a sudden you make new friends like you and i are getting to know each other through mm-hmm. through this and it's just you expand your network so it's been it's been great and I, i've been enjoying doing it but yeah me uh, my introduction i my name is Neil Hogger, as you said, and I'm I'm a land specialist real estate agent with Whitetail Properties Real Estate. I cover Northwest Wisconsin, and I've been doing this area for about seven years now. I think in March is my seventh anniversary, and I I represent buyers and sellers, mainly sellers of recreational land, timberland, farmland, mineral properties, just you know land in general. Sometimes there's homes on it, sometimes there's not. A lot of people pigeonhole me into hunting land, but we're we're much more than that. I got a golf course for sale right now. So I've been, my career has spanned in sales for about 30 years, mostly in pharmaceuticals for three years and then medical device sales. And if you want to go back to the previous one, previous episode that we did, I won't get into it now, but I've just been in sales a long time and I like real estate and I own multiple forms of real estate and I love land management and I love hunting and I just combined it all into this career and I have my own vlog and maybe we can give a shameless plug at the end. Go and, for it. And, you, you can, you can give a front end plug if you want. Can I? All right. Go I for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called the American Landman, and uh, it's on YouTube. If you just search YouTube, uh, look for Neil Hogger land specialist and you'll come, you'll find it, but it's called the American Landman, and the whole American Landman concept, you know, people call me, Oh, you think you're the American Landman Now you're like the guy. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm getting at. You know, to me, the American landman is kind of a, a concept. It's a community. It's people that love land, want to own land, buy land, sell land, manage land, hunt on land. You know, anything from one acres with a little food plot in the middle of the city that you can hunt deer on to guys that have hundreds, if not thousands of acres of land. We're all American landmen. And that's how I see it. And I'm just a guy that's putting some of these topics that come up, questions, and meeting people like you and expanding our network and all doing the same thing. We love land. We love hunting. We like to manage it. And our podcast and my vlog, your podcast, my vlog is kind of about a little, little lean towards the sales side of the, of it. So there you go. So, yeah. So last time we spoke, we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about some of your past experiences, you know, setting up income to do a 1031 if someone wants to do that. But something that we discussed is on that episode was the Fab Five, but I've been told it's it's quickly evolving. And yeah. so, and, and when you mentioned the Fab Five, you're kind of breaking down. What are some things that are really important for a parcel to really harness the full market potential of what's there and also uh, what could potentially be overlooked by other buyers and kind of you know checking the boxes off on a parcel as you're looking at it. So yeah. As as you've gone through this, kind of what in in I guess the Cliff Notes version, like what is kind of the Fab Five? Because we discussed it a little bit, but it sounds like you've maybe added another item or two on that list. Yeah, maybe. And as I'm like getting put on the spot here, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. Okay, can I come up with five? Yeah, I think <laughs> you're, right. Well, you're right. There's there's probably a lot of things that go into this. I, I'm definitely going to probably forget when I get down this list 
how many I got left to go, but here we go. In doing this job with land and combining it with my experiences selling and buying residential properties, I started to identify things that, in my opinion, kind of add to the potential for success and equity gain and just making it a better property to at least focus on. And I, I, I try to I try to come up with a, a model, if you will. And so I came up with what I call the Fab Five, but the Fab Five is probably the Fab Eight sometimes, but here you go. So the first thing that I tell people is like, so they come to me and they start to say, you know, I want to buy a property. I want to invest in land. And I'll say, okay, great. What are you looking for? You know, what's your process? And they usually don't have any. So that's where the Fab Five concept came up is just to kind of help people identify and narrow down and give them a little plan of action. So, you know, you don't get the call of, well, I'm looking for land, but I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know how much I'm spending. I I, I have no plan at all. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started. I, I mean, I bought my first property and maybe we'll talk about that at some point with no plan at all. I mean, I literally decided to buy land. I went and looked at one place and I bought the first place <laughs> I saw. And in, a, in retrospect, it turned out okay, but mm-hmm. it could have been a nightmare. So the fat five, the first thing I tell people, and they're not necessarily in order of importance, but the first thing I tell people is a demographic growth corridors. And what do I mean by that? Well, take almost any any major metropolitan center and just step back at 30,000 feet and you're going to see these areas of development. Can I, I got to close my office sure. to my lab, Lucy, the land lab, just push the door open. <laughs> Lucy the land lab. The <laughs> yep. You're good. Point. Yep. You're good. Yep. You're good. Lucy, the land lab. That is a, that is the name of a land specialist's dog. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, the land lab. And she, she goes with me everywhere and you'll see her on my blog. But anyways, okay. So step back from any metropolitan area and look at the map and you will see, and I'm, I'm near Minneapolis, St. Paul. So, you know, people can look at that. You'll see the freeway system. You'll see 94 heading out the Northwest direction towards Maple Grove, Albertville. You'll see 94 coming in from, oh, you know, Eau Claire, Menominee, Hudson, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and then just any which way. It's like a spider web. They're all feeding in or feeding out of a metropolitan area. And always those are the demographic growth corridors. And people are the, the amenities are there. The freeways start to de- at the exit start to develop the, the quick trips and the gas stations or whatever. There's you know little towns start springing up because there's amenities. So those demographic growth corridors are always areas where the population is pushing. And the further you get off of those, and I'm going to get to that, the less expensive the land is, the closer you are, the more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. So depending on your goals of what you're looking for. I think demographic growth corridors, especially if you're investing or you're you're buying your recreational land with an investment mindset, that's an area that you're going to want to pay attention to. Along, kind of alongside that, almost parallel is the geographic travel corridors. And those go along with what I just said. Those are the major freeways coming in and out of a metro. Mm-hmm. But if you take that a step further and you get 20, 30, 45 minutes out, then those major interstates become county highways. And then they become, you know, a secondary road and then a a tertiary road, you know, you know, farmer's lane all the way down to gravel. Mm -hmm. And so you start to pay attention to those and you realize, and I've realized that people want to be about one to two hours 
from the major metropolitan areas along the demographic growth areas because they want convenience. They like to travel easily. So they're on the geographic travel corridors. And so that is, I think, number three is one to 30 minutes to an hour, maybe two on the tops mm -hmm. is that if you drop a pebble in, the, in a pond and you see the concentric rings, the further you get out, the cheaper the land gets and the less people want to buy it. The closer mm -hmm. you're in is the high dollar stuff. Everybody wants There's a lot of competition. Mm -hmm. So what do we got? So we got geographic travel, demographic growth, uh, yeah. one, three, maybe two hours out. And then off of those travel routes being, I would say one to five miles off of one of those travel routes. And the more remote you get, obviously the quieter it gets and less population and less traffic. But again, you're starting to get remote. You're losing for on the resale side of it. You're losing buyers. The limiting buyers. Away. Yep. So the one. So I don't know if that four or five. I don't even remember. But I have four. I have four jotted down right now from what okay, we've covered. Four. And then the other thing that I would say that is one of my fab things I look for is the type of land and what do most people want to buy. Most people want to buy waterfront. I would say in my experience, because I'm in Lake country, it may sure. be different where you're at, Yep. but for the listeners that we sell to, they probably want diversity. They would want something with a little bit of tillable or some open grounds. They want some yep. timber. If you're smart about hunting, you probably want some wetland security cover. You know, you want maybe some more mature trees because they're aesthetically pleasing and people like to walk through there and they like to look at it. Mm -hmm. it might not be the best habitat, but it's pretty to look at. So there's mm -hmm. benefits on both sides. So I would put that as number five is like the type of property. Diversity is key. Yep. And I always tell people at least three environmental biomes a biome being grassland would be a biome pine forest would be a biome a tamarack swamp would be a biome mm -hmm. ag fields would be a biome when a habitat type one two and three come together every single time when you go to that property or that part of the property you're going to find activity there every time yep yeah always going to find sign deer creatures of edge and they i mean a monoculture is not good for really wildlife in general, all, all forms yeah. of wildlife, they need diversity. So, I mean, that makes sense. And I think, I think that's something that's people shop that are shopping for their first parcels. They're, I mean, it's, it's expensive. It takes a lot of money to save up to buy your first piece. So they naturally want to go drift towards the softer economy of areas where land is cheaper, but you have to be thinking if that's not your long-term piece, you got to be thinking of your exit of who's, who's going to end up buying it after you. And, you know, I think a, a pool of buyers is more competition, which means higher prices. So, you know, I think there's probably a happy medium there. You know, for your vlog here and the listeners, you know, you hear a lot and uh, I, I read it on on the vlogs. I read it on all the Facebook posts and, you know, land is for rich guys and I'll never, I can't afford it and I can't afford it. Yes, you can. You, what you got to do is though, is you got to start off smaller, probably depending on your budget. You maybe set your sights a little low. But if you start to employ, you know, knowledge of yours in Illinois, mine in Wisconsin, the Fab Five concept, and maybe it's the Fab Eight, we can start to drill you down and get you organized and say, look, we didn't find all of these Fab points, but we found two or three of them, mm -hmm. and this is why I think this property might be something to purchase. And then once you get it, then you can do the minor improvements 
It doesn't take a whole lot, a food plot, a tree stand, and a, and a trail camera that maybe you leave with a sale. And now you're selling a 20 acre parcel that you bought for 50, 60,000 bucks in some areas. You might get a, you might get, you know, two to three, I've gotten $500 per acre just because of it's managed, it's improved upon mm -hmm. and you market it well and you know what you're selling and you have a plan, the fab five, mm -hmm. now it becomes more and you take that 60,000 or 20 or 30 or 40, whatever, and you move it up to $300 an acre. Well, heck, you just forced yourself equity and you paid it down and you depreciated it and you got tax benefits and you rolled it over with the 1031. And we just, well, there's five podcasts right there mm -hmm. and you move up. And then you do it again and you improve it and you move up. And I know the guys at Whitetail Properties, I'm sure there's guys in our in our group of guys that are listening, they're nodding their head and go, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I didn't start off with a thousand acres. I started off with 40. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how you do it. Yeah, it's it's getting started. It's I mean, I think Bill Winky said it best in that uh, episode that I, I plugged earlier uh, this month. And I mean, he breaks it down with with uh, great articulation, but it's 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 that's it. It seems like that's that's the case to take some sacrifices to get into that first start starting parcel, but it snowballs from there as fast as you you want, really. I mean, it's slow or as fast as you want. If you love that place and you want to stay there for seven years, great. If you're ready to move up after a year or two and you got some good promotions or you know, whatever the case may be, and you can move up as well, awesome. You know, you can run the race at your own pace. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to get into it. I just sold a property where the guy um, ended up coming in with some money, but the owner, believe it or not, didn't want to take any money. He wanted to sell it, but I, he goes, I don't need the income right now, but I'd like the payments spread out over the next number of years. Mm -hmm. And you could find those deals that, you know, no money down property that you can come in and actually take ownership and do all your things. And if, if you're lucky, I mean, the, the land run in the last few years has been through the roof, the timings, right? You, you might end up buying something with no money down. You're paying that guy annually. So he has a better tax position. And then if you write your offer, right, you might be able to turn it over before you actually finish your purchase, sell it for more, pay him off, take the equity. You just got your, your nest egg to begin. And now you buy your next one with the 10 to 20 or 30% down. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a whole nother topic, but that's possible. Sure. I, I've seen it done. So, yeah. And so I assume that was some sort of basically contract for deed. That was a contract for deed. I just did it on a hundred and I'm going to, th I think it was 120 acres in Dunn County, Wisconsin. Gotcha. Did it this fall. Any, any other details about that deal that you could share for some, I mean, contract for deed, I think is popular for a lot of, it's a popular thought. I don't necessarily see a ton of them personally, but what, I mean, there's pros and cons to a contract for deed in my, in my opinion, I, what's your, what's your take on contract right. for deed? Cause well, I know first off, what, what is contract for you? It can be a, a land contract. I mean, I'm going to, it's a really high level, but it's basically I'm the seller, you're the buyer. And in the case, just to go along, what we were talking about is maybe I'm an, in, in the case of this guy, he was an old guy. He was, he was 80 years old mm -hmm. and he made a lot of money and he says, geez, I don't want this land anymore, but I also don't want the huge taxes dropped on me this year. I'd like to spread this out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he's like, do you think I could find a guy that would do that? I'm like, well, sure. But on the flip side, when you, when you're, you might be dealing with a guy that's a little bit more risky because if he doesn't have the money down, there's probably a reason why he doesn't have the money down. There's a lot of guys out there that don't have a plan that maybe have never done it or maybe been on hard times or, I mean, there's any number of reasons why they just don't have the cash in hand, but they want to own land. 
And so there is that, and you have to find the right guy. My buyer actually was a pretty solid guy. He was a business owner in, in the Minneapolis Metro. And, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm flexible on that too. So what they did was my seller became the bank, mm-hmm. the buyer, in this case, initially started off with, I'm not going to pay you anything, but he ended up paying him some because he had it. And then they said, the way we wrote it was, I'll, I'll, I'll have an interest rate like the bank would. I'll amortize it for monthly payments or annual payments in this case over a certain number of years. I'm not going to give you all the details because sure. the guy might be listening, but you could amortize it over a certain number of years like a bank would. They, they may, might do a six-year loan or a 10-year loan or a 30-year loan, right? I mean, it, it could be anything. And you, and you figure it out and you amortize it down to a monthly payment, quarterly payment, annual payment. All that can be written into the contract however you want to do it. Because when you're private party to private party, there really isn't any limitations. You can do it however you wish to do it. There's a purchase price, there's an interest rate, and there's a payment schedule. And the reason that this guy did it, he didn't want to take all that money on year one. Mm -hmm. We wrote it so he got five equal payments on an anniversary date and he spread those payments out. And I think we wrote in there no balloon payment, no payoff. So he got an interest rate for at least five years. So there was that. He was the bank. He earned interest Mm -hmm. and he sold his property and he spread his payments out. And my buyer came in with a lot less money out of pocket. And so the benefit to him was I had a lot less money out of my pocket. There weren't a lot of restrictions. There was some logging restrictions. You can't come in here, clear cut it and then give it back to me or default. So there were some restrictions that we built into it to protect my seller. But for the most part, this guy really could, he had the right to an early payoff or excuse me, he did not have the right to the early payoff, even though he wanted it, but we wrote it in, no, we're not going to. But then again, I said, look, you got five years. In five years, you can pay it off and and you need to pay it off in five Mm -hmm. years. So there was a balloon payment on that. So land contracts, you know, there's a million ways to do it, Mm -hmm. but it's simply, I'm the seller, I'm the bank, I'm holding the note, you're making me payments at an interest rate at a pre-agreed upon payment schedule, monthly, annually, whatever. That's, mm-hmm. that's basically what it is. It's a way sure. to get in with little or no money down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's a, a great weapon to have as you're shopping for uh, a parcel. So I guess kind of transitioning into what we spoke last time, you're, did you buy that parcel you were flipping before at that time or were you just under contract? At the time, I think I had it under a contract and I was closing on it. Okay. And I think at the time I was, I, I, Take that back. I think I had actually purchased it because this was like back in June. So I closed on in June and now I was splitting it and remarketing it and cleaning mm-hmm. it up and, and doing all the things I did. And, and we were, I was calling you along the way saying, this is going well. I think I'm going to come out of this with a pretty healthy profit. And that's when mm-hmm. we thought, well, let's once we get it done and all the numbers are shaking out and they're almost all the numbers are in, mm-hmm. I got a pretty solid number and it turned out well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how many properties have you flipped over? Is this one of your first major flips? This is, you know, the first recreational property that I actually did intentionally on a flip. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought and sold sure. residential homes and and did a land contract on those. And so I've done real estate by improving it, selling, buying it low, selling it high, basically. Mm-hmm. But this was the first recreational flip that I did. And, you know, the reason I did it is, is over the last seven years, I'd say probably once or twice a year, I just, something falls in my lap. Most recently I had 80 acres in Buffalo County, Wisconsin. And short story on that is a guy called me up and he got 
one of my advertisements said, Hey, I got some land I want to sell. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, yeah, sure. You know, tell me where it's at. And I get a piece of paper. He says, well, it's in Buffalo County near a little town called cream. Have you ever heard of that? And I said, Oh, like, are you kidding me? That's like ground zero mm-hmm. in Buffalo County. I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, well, how much is land going for around there? And I said, well, you know, it, it could vary. I mean, I, you know, what do you got? And, and I, and he started describing it. And I mean, all day long, I knew this was like, four thousand to forty five hundred dollar an acre land mm-hmm. and he and we, as we were talking and i said well you know tell me about what's going on he goes you know i just don't really want to get into do too much but i'm i'm kind of getting in a pinch and i'm gonna have my lawyer call you and he's gonna ask you some questions i'm like oh, lawyer what's going on and he, and, he, and he goes so what's the so what do you think i mean i kind of need to sell this fast and i'm like well if you want to sell it fast i mean price it a couple hundred dollars under the market $3,800 an acre. Well, it'll sell pretty quick. It'll sell like, you know, I'll have it sold and closed in six months. You'll have your money out. He says six months. I go, yeah, it's pretty typical, you know, a little mm-hmm. faster because you're, you're pricing a little aggressive. He goes, well, what would be the price if I wanted to sell it like last week? Oh, geez. And I went, what? He says, yeah, I, you know, if I want to sell it like last week, what would it be? I go, well, if you have if you price it at $3,600 an acre, I'll have this thing under contract within 30 days. It'll mm-hmm. be a 60 day close. And you'll have your money. He goes, okay. So he says, I'm going to have my lawyer call you and uh, just talk to him, tell him what kind of what you told me and then send me the listing agreement. So I said, okay. So I got two days later, I get a call from the lawyer and he said, Hey, this is so-and-so's lawyer. And so $3,800 an acre, will get this thing sold. You'll get an offer within 30 days and you'll have it closed within 60. I said, yep. Pretty typical. I think I will. He goes, all right, then let's, what's the sell it yesterday price. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on here? And so uh-huh. long story short, I said, you put this thing at $3,400 an acre and I probably won't even get it up on my website. I'll make some calls and yeah. it'll be gone. So I put it out on Facebook. I quickly got a call from one of the agents in the area. It also sells land and he knows me and I know him. And he's like, dude, what, what's going on? Do you like 3,400 an acre for 80 acres in cream? What are you, are you smoking something? <laughs> I said, I know what you're thinking. He's like, okay, so why aren't you buying it? And I said, well, to be honest with you, my wife doesn't, she doesn't have the confidence that I have that I know what I'm doing. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. And she just doesn't <laughs> want to spend 80, you know, whatever that $3,400 an acre times 80, whatever that comes to. She just doesn't want to do it. And he goes, okay, uh, make it an offer at 3,400 an acre. And he, he bought it. Mm-hmm. He turned around and sold that. And I think he made $800 an acre across 80 acres. So it's at oh. 160,000 bucks. Yeah. 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 Dude, yeah. You're a math guy real quick. Yeah. 80, $800 an acre across 80 acres. Yep. Uh, no, 64,000. 64,000 bucks. Yep. 800 times 80. Yep. Never stepped on it. I don't think all he did is put it, took my sign down, put his sign up. So the reason that's important is I would come across these deals like this once or twice a year, every year, it seemed like and I just kept telling myself, I need to take advantage of this, this opportunity, not necessarily take advantage of the buyer, but I got to take advantage of the opportunity and be ethical and all that. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to last March or so I get a call and it's this woman and she says, I have some property I need to sell. And I said, okay. And I grab my notebook, like I always do. And I start talking to her and she says, I have two properties. I have a three bedroom, two bath home outside of the town of New Richmond. And she described it to me as on 20 acres and it was a three bedroom, two bath. Mm-hmm. And then she says, my dad has a property in um, Polk County. That's 60 mm-hmm. acres. It's a cabin and a pole barn. Mm-hmm. And she goes now, and we talked a little bit more. And I took some more details, but 
she says, now I have to warn you a little bit. My, my dad passed away a few years ago. My mom is very sick and she's in the hospital and they were, they were kind of hoarders is what she said. And she goes, not, they're not true hoarders. They just kind of saved everything. I mean, it's, they're not dirty, but they just, they saved everything. They just came from a period of time when you didn't throw anything away. And so there's a lot of stuff. In the case of the of the the home, when I went there, it had been locked up for like a number of years because the man, the father had passed away and the mom was in a nursing home and nobody had been in here. So I went in there, it was very dark and it was, it was like walking into a time capsule. And so I looked at that and I thought, okay. And then she also says, I have to sell this pretty fast, but I don't want to give away the farm, but I have to sell it pretty quick because I need the money to do some other things to take care of my mom. And so, and I'm, again, I'm taking out a couple of details here, but the idea is she wanted money fairly quickly, but not, I didn't want to like give it away. And so I went and looked at the other property, the 60 acres that I flipped and I, and I walked in there and it was like a time capsule. I walked into this steel sided cabin had a pole barn, still a pole barn on 60 acres, beautiful timber trails. Um, it was in the managed forest law plan. So it was managed pretty well for timber, pretty straight trees. And I opened the door and I actually have an episode if anybody wants to look at this on my vlog, American Land Man, where I went there for the first time I ever walked in. And it was it was like a time capsule. This, this guy literally took off his ball cap, his hunting cap for the last time, set it on his chair. And he cleaned up everything. He emptied out the ashes in the fireplace and he, he bathed the beds and he put the dishes away and he locked the door and he never came back. Wow. No, he'd been in there for seven years. I was the first guy in there. So picture about a 20 by 30 cabin with a staircase going upstairs to a loft, two beds up there, overlooked a great room, a kitchen to the right, had an old propane stove and it had a refrigerator and there was a bathroom, but it wasn't plumbed. There was no well or septic wood heat but he had electric he had lights it was all tongue and groove inside it was it was just it was like a great hunting cabin the barn was 30 40 yards over to the right and i went in there and that was chock full of stuff and i vlogged about it the cleanup part of it and that's something we're going to talk about here but for the most part it was in great shape i walked out in the timber great looking timber nice mixture there's a pond so the water feature it had a uh, swamp it had highland timber it had some openings from some logging things so those biomes that trifecta water tag alders timber was there it was near agricultural land it was on a demographic travel corridor and it was off of it a mile or two so the fab five thing started like the light bulbs were coming on mm -hmm. and I'm like oh boy this is an opportunity so i went back to her and i did my analysis and i said okay as i always do i said all right so let's talk about marketing i'm going to list it i did i said here's my analysis so i've been to most properties so the house i would say is probably you know 325 to 375 and if you cleaned it up and you painted it and you maybe changed out the carpet and just kind of did a little bit of cosmetic stuff you put 20,000 into it you probably got a $425,000 home and she's like oh, I don't I don't I don't have that kind of money to do that right now and I said okay well if you put it on the market at 325 I'm gonna have it sold in 30 days the cabin if you put so 325 or like 400 that's six months. So 30 days to six months, high, low. The cabin, same concept. If you put it on the market at like 245 as is, 
and you can go in there and clean it up and get all the stuff out of here because there's like stuff. There's dumpsters with the stuff. I'm gonna say it's two two forty five probably. If you do all the work and you clean it up, I could probably get three hundred out of this. Mm-hmm. And it took her about two seconds to go. I'll take the low number on both properties. And I said, okay. I said, can I ask you a question? Like, why why do you want to leave a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table? And without getting into her personal business, she says, because I need to take this money and do something else to take care of my mom. I need the money. It was an estate and she was the executor. We need the money. So I said, all right, well, and I'll make a call. I got an offer really quick on the house. I sold that. And then I made a, I went back to her and I said, look, if you're interested in selling your cabin, I'm interested in being your buyer. And I will give you, you won't have to pay commission. You won't ever put it on the market. I will take care of buying it. I'll buy it at 235. And I saved her about 5,000 bucks in commission, I think, at that number, roughly. Mm-hmm. And she said yes. So, so I bought it from her all along, just so people that are listening to this, you know, my policy and those of us at Whitetail Properties is we're here for our clients. It doesn't mean that we're not going to buy properties from them, but we're always here for them. And what I did along the way is after I made the offer and I knew she was emotional about it a little bit, and I went back to her after the deal was done, I had it on paper, I, I bought it, I was buying it, I had a contract. I went back to her and I said, I just want to revisit this because it's been a couple of days. I want to make sure you are okay with this. And she said, mm-hmm. oh, I'm more than okay. I'm abs- I'm ecstatic. Mm-hmm. This, Neil, this is something that I just got to get done. I need it off my plate. I can't manage this. I have to take care of my mom. I'm good. And so just so that I knew that I wasn't taking advantage of it, because I knew I was buying it at a low level. I told her, I said, I'm just remind you, I'm an agent. I know the market. I'm buying it pretty good price. I'm probably going to flip it. I'm going to make some money on it. I got to do the work to Mm -hmm. get it there, but we could sell it at this level if you'll clean it up too. So I could do it for you, what I'm going to do for myself. And I reminded her and I documented all along, all the way up to the date of the closing. At the date of the closing in the office, I sat with a closer and her, and I said, before we sign the documents, I'm going to ask you again, I am likely to make money on this. I am buying it somewhat aggressively. If you do not want to do this, we'll rip it up. I'll give your earnest money back and I'll put it on the market and I'll just sell it. And she says, no, I'm very happy. I want you to have it. I said, okay. And we did the deal. So being doing what I do, or even if you don't do what we do and you put the feelers out, you know, the, the forces of the energy of the world will bring opportunities to you. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity was put in front of me and it was a win for me and it was a win for her. Since then, I've got emails and text messages of her on dune buggies in Arizona. And she's just like happy. And this whole weight was lifted off her shoulder. And I'm happy too, because I did the work and I flipped it and we're going to walk through the process. If I, if I pull up my spreadsheet, am I, you're going to lose my face, right? Yeah, that's okay though. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm pulling up my spreadsheet. All right. Do you see? Do you see it? No. So I think. Oh, I don't know if you can screen share actually, since you're not the host. If you could, te- if you just text it to me, I'll put it up on my computer. Okay. Well, I'd have to email it to you, I guess. Let me see. E- email works too. All right. Can I do it after the? Sure. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. All right. 
Okay. So guys that are listening and not looking, I, I put together, actually I saved my wife. She's awesome. Put together a spreadsheet. We basically tracked the process and then I'm going to give you a basic highlight numbers, pretty accurate, but I'm not going to give you every number because it doesn't really go along with the program here. But the point is, is when you do these flips, okay, the first thing that you have to do is you, you, you gotta, you gotta know your market. So before I ever made the offer, you know, I knew what land sold for up there. And the way I do it is I break it down in the land value and I can go on and I can help you do this or, you know, Jake can too. And we know the land values in the area. So I knew the land values and I, I valued this land at about $2,500 an acre. The high end in the area was maybe three grand an acre. So maybe the sweet spot that I, I could have got a couple hundred dollars more an acre, maybe it was 2,800. But I, I put the land value of this property at $2,500 an acre because it was in the Managed Forest Law Program, which is a tax savings program where the state of Wisconsin gets involved in your program and they, they write a management plan and they manage your land for you. Mm -hmm. So before that, you get a price redu uh, tax reduction and pre it's pretty healthy. There's the MFL closed, meaning nobody can come on it other than you and your family and the open, meaning public can come on it. This was in the MFL closed and I had about 10 more years to go. People generally don't like the MFL program. I find that probably you lose 30 to 40% of your buyers. They just don't like the government involvement. Yeah. So I knew knowing that I thought, well, I'm going to price this at a good price, which is $2,500 an acre, but I'm going to, I know I'm leaving some money on the table. That's how I came to that land price. There were trails, there was nice timber, there was diversity. 2,500 is a good price, but I could have got more, but I didn't want to be holding this forever. Okay. Time is money. I was hoping that my holding time would be, I was hoping for four months tops. I ended up having it for six months because of some things that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I bought it at late spring. So the timing was right. And I sold it in November, on November 15th. I would have liked to have sold it early October because that's where the, that was the fever pitch of people buying. And if you sell it and you time it right, you're gonna push your sales price up. But when you're holding it for six months, like I was, and year and month three went by and I paid an interest payment for my loan, which I'll talk about that. September went by, October went by, no, you know, I, would, I could see the dollars going out of my hand. Foo, 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 foo. The money was leaving my hand. I was starting to get a little panicky, like, man, Am I going to sell this thing? Because I don't want to be holding it. So you got to, that's something that you got to take in it, into account. So by holding it for six months, I spent about $2,407 on interest payments for my bank loan. The way I got the money was I have another property and I did a home equity line of credit against a townhome that I own free and clear. So I have a $300,000 line of credit and I pay prime plus an interest rate. And Prime, I think, is at about 0.75, I think. And then the interest rate topic, I think my loan is about 4.25%, I think is what it is. So there's monthly, or actually there's quarterly payments that come out of this. I pay every quarter. So there's interest. So the longer you hold it, the more you're bleeding financially. The next thing is I did is I came in and I said, okay, I got to clean this place up. So I vlogged about this again and I showed this. What I did is I went in there and I there was old furniture, bedding, 
like pots and pans, utensils and decorations. And he was a little bit of a hoarder. There was every garbage bag that he ever had for 20 some years, all tied up into another garbage bag. So picture stacks upon stacks upon stacks of bags of grocery bags. There was newspapers and just every drawer was packed full of stuff. Some of it was like new old stock, like gloves and things that actually might have some value to the consignment shop. And so what I did is I went to this company, a plug for them out of Frederick. They're called Angels Helping Hands. It's a consignment shop. And I called them up and I said, hey, I've got this cabin. We're about 30 minutes from you and it's full of stuff. And some of it's got some value, furniture, smalls, some things that I think you can use. And they're like, well, oh, really? Well, how much do you want for it? I said, well, if I give it to you, will you come and get it out of there? And then you can resell it. And they take that money and they give it to a like drug rehab homes that they own. So they raise money. Mm-hmm. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, come in, you know, come and get it. So he shows up in a van and I started helping him unload everything out of there. And he took almost everything out of there, furniture, anything that value he took out and he sold it and he got some money on it. But for me, you know, the two or 300 bucks that I might've earned on an estate sale, garage sale, the day that I would have spent doing it, time is money. I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I got the cabin cleaned out for free. Then I, I tackled the, the, the barn and inside the barn, there was a lot of stuff. And I got this big 20 yard dumpster delivered. And I started, it took me three, four five weekends, just going up there for as long as I could stand doing it, just tossing stuff up in there. I filled up, I think one and a half dumpsters. And the total cleanup cost was about $737 and 39 cents. So I had bank loans and cleanup now into it. And I'm, I'm over three grand and I haven't made a dime yet because I haven't sold it. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I did is I thought, well, my parcel is actually six parcels that were 20, no, 10 acres, five parcels, five parcels. Uh, there were 10 acres each and one was 20 acres. Is that right? Four and five, maybe it was four, four, it was four 10 acre parcels and one 20 acre parcel. There you go. Each of those parcels had their own property identification number. Initially, I thought, well, geez, I can sell a 10 acre parcel for 60,000 bucks and a guy could put a cabin on it or or a trailer. You know, I could just bring in some gravel and put bring the electric in. I could, you know, I could sell each of those for 60,000 bucks and 60 times, you know, five, it's pretty good money. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to do that. So I opted not to do, but I what I did do is I took 10 acres and a cabin and separated off and I sold that for 175,000 bucks. In the process, not thinking, because I never did this before, I made four acres of my MFL land ineligible for the program. So then I found out now I got to survey off the 10, so there's cost there. And I got to pay a penalty to pull four acres out of the plan, so that mm. was some cost. And so what I did was, is I, I decided, I was too late because I already had it under contract, I had to do it. So I had to write up a plan. I had to bring in a surveyor and I had to pay a penalty with, to withdraw. And, and then I, and the surveyor cost, I had to spend $4,225 to make that happen. In retrospect, if I would have thought ahead, knowing that it's in the MFL program, I would have called the MFL guy in my county, in that county and said, I want to sell some of this off. How does this split affect the MFL plan? And he would have said, well, if you sell it with five acres, it's no effect at all. 
You just got to get it approved to split off. You are going to have to survey the 20 acres that it's on. So now you have a five acre parcel and a 15 acre parcel. So there's some cost. But as far as the MFL withdrawal, there's no penalty. I didn't do that. I just, in my overzealous nature, I just said, yeah, split off 10. That makes sense. And I made some mistakes. So, so to do that MFL plan review for the split, I had to give a check of 400 bucks to the county inf uh, land information guy. So he would approve it. And then I had to pay $2,533 for the survey. And to, to pay the withdrawal penalty, I had to write a check for 1,292 bucks. Alto comes to about 4,225 bucks to get it split and out of the plan. So things are going along pretty good, and, but then I got to market it. So when you get these properties and you want to split it and you want to market it, you got to, you got to get it out there. I, as you, we have a little advantage, you know, I can put it up on Whitetail Properties Real Estate and everybody in the world can see it. And I did. So I, I paid a reduced commission because I wasn't paying myself commission, but I still had to pay my broker mm -hmm. and I paid him 2% to do this. So there was fees still to market the property and I boosted it through Facebook and I put it on a lot of free websites, the Wisconsin bow hunters, Polk County bow hunters, archers, you know, I use Facebook a lot and I boosted. So I spent probably, I'm going to say I spent about a hundred bucks boosting it and marketing it. I didn't spend a lot there, but all told once I got it sold, then I had to have the title work done. Right. So you got to take it to the title company. It's like selling anything else. They do the title search and there's a lot of, lot of fees that you do and they have to prorate the taxes. Mm -hmm. And so in Wisconsin, the taxes are always paid in the rears. And when you sell a property, they'll prorate the taxes up to the day to close, but they really don't know what the taxes are going to be for the next year yet. So basically you kind of got to agree to work with your buyer and seller together and say, um, you know, if, if it comes out and I owe a little bit more taxes, I'll pay it. Hopefully the tax bill comes to you because I paid up to the date of close and you owe the rest for that year. But all told, I paid about $216, 200, $200 and 16 cents in taxes prorated. So I paid my taxes. That was another fee. And I paid about $1,347 in closing costs for them to do the title search and gap coverage endorsements and settlement closing fees and deed preparation, all those came to $1,347. So when you buy these properties, you know, I use an app. Okay. I have an app that, that I can plug in numbers. What's as the app? As I know them. It's called the property evaluator. Okay. Okay. And I don't know if it's still out there, but I bought it a number of years ago and I have it on my iPhone. So I could go through and go purchase price, holding time, you know, all my costs. And I, I asked to make costs and hold, you know, all that. And I put it in there. And when I did that, and you're, you're kind of spitballing these things, you got to kind of look, kind of act fast on these deals sometimes to actually get it. I knew that I had, I had probably on the low end, 45,000 profit. And on the high end is maybe as much as depending on what I sold it for. And if I split it 60, 70, 80, even 90, I knew there was a lot of room there. Even if I really royally screwed something up, mm -hmm. I was still going to be all pretty good. But if you go to a website, I'll give them a plug. If you don't mind, biggerpockets.com. Yep. You can, you can download and or get access to calculators. There's a bunch of them Some and they're, they're just, they're fantastic. Yeah. So Brandon, if you're listening to this, 
he runs that website and that and uh, you know i gave you is this that. is this the app that's that okay so yeah if you that's type in property evaluator rei calc and uh yep. it's right there <clears throat> so i so i did that a number of years ago and i use it and but you know after a while you can kind of like I know the value of the buildings. I know the value of the land. I know the market. I know what 60 acres with a cabin around here will sell for. I know the Fab Five. I knew that I had a. I knew I had a deal here. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and purchased it. Mm -hmm. so, so, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking. So those were that was the bulk of your expenses then for this transaction. I think that was it. I'm going to minimize you here. So sure. here's my expenses. So I had a thousand dollars of earnest money down. And then I had a number of financing fees for my for my loan. Mm -hmm. I think that came to I know I had it a bank bank loan, and so I had twenty four hundred dollars rounded up rounded down twenty four hundred dollars of bank loan fees that I spent. I had to pay like three fees. Then I had a hundred dollars when you sell a property, you have to transfer the MFL plan to the new guy. And I paid that, that was a hundred bucks. I spent $623 and 45 cents on the dumpster on the, on the 14th of July, I paid $1,920 to RCU credit union for my interest. I made another August 19th. I made a payment at $415 of interest. On uh, September 10th, I made another $804 interest payment. I still had electricity came in my in my name, so I paid 41 bucks to that. I needed a rent a pole saw, so I went <laughs> got a steel pole saw because there was it hadn't been utilized in years, and I wanted to market it and give my photographs better. So I rented a pole saw for $113.94 electric and zipped it and went up there and kind of raised the foliage so you could actually see the cabin. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't look so wild. Wild. I kind of set it up. I, I, I did the parcel split review and that was the $400 fee to the land information officer to be able to split and to kind of get his permission to do it. I paid another $778 in, in October to RCU Credit Union. When it all was said and done, I earned $169 and $169,110 and 48 cents, $169,110 dollars and 48 cents from the sale of that property mm -hmm. what else can i tell you i had uh i think that's pretty much it when i when i was all said and done so far there might be a little bit more tax payments coming out of this i netted fifty thousand five hundred and ninety seven dollars and 36 cents on that sale on that flip wow so what was the do you know the percentage return on that i did not calculate it <laughs> I need to plug it into my thing and I'll, if you do it on this, uh, app, uh, -huh. it'll tell you. Yeah. I wonder if I have it actually. Let me, let me sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. So, and I know you, so I guess one of the biggest mistakes you would have, uh, just slowed down and, and talk to the forest program to basically avoid that additional survey. But do you say that was one of the, the biggest things you would redo? I think the biggest thing I'd redo is I wouldn't run rush to split it. Um, I would, I would definitely make some calls. I would just simply make some calls. I would have called the land information officer. Here's a little side story. So he kind of stuck it to me a little bit and drug his feet on the approval because I, I went to the, the title company and I said, Hey, I'm going to split this off. 
what do I need to do, you know, as far as the county? And I kind of relied on their expertise. And it's not that they did things right, but there was some miscommunication that happened. I split off the 10 acres in the cabin. I actually closed on that first. And then I had about 50 acres of land that I closed in November. So one closed in October early and one closed mid-November. When I went to the land information officer and asked basically for his permission to, we were gonna, what we were gonna do is we we're gonna take a Western 20 acre PID and we were gonna cut it in north-south halves. So initially I went to my I went to my surveyor and I said, I just need a line east to west to divide this north this north-south running property ID number of 20 acres in half. So I'm gonna sell off the bottom half, 10 acres. I just, all the other points were already there. I just need one line really quick, thousand bucks, so I can sell off that 10 acres. Then I, uh, of course, I bumped into the MFL withdrawal and all that, but that was no hold on the story. But, and so she doing her job, gotten a hold of the, the county and, and was talking land information officer. And as I understood it, he gave her the permission to go ahead and do that. And, so we did. So we sold we sold the property, the 10 acres. But when that got to the the land information officer, he blew up. He's like, "What do you what are you doing? You sold off this 10. I didn't say you could do that. They, you need to sell that 50 first and then the 10 second for reasons I'm not really sure, but yeah. he that's what he said he agreed to. And he got really upset. And so he was ripping her a new one through emails and phone calls. And she called me and I'm like, well, what's going on? And she goes, I don't know. I mean, I asked him, I told him what we were doing and he's saying, no, that's not what you said. So I called this guy up personally and I'd actually met him once when I paid my $400 fee. I went up there and gave it to him. He's a really nice guy. And I thought I was doing everything right. I was all proud of myself that I was going to the township and meeting the right people and following all the rules. And I called him up and I said, I, forget, I don't want to say his name, but I'll just call him Steve. I said, Steve, I go, what, what what's going on? I, I, I'm under, I don't understand because you understand very well. I said, no, I don't. I said, I came to you. I gave the 400 bucks. I got our plan. And so, no, that's not what you did. You know darn well what you did. And he said some explicatives and <laughs> I feel like I was taken advantage of and I've learned my lesson. I'm never doing this again. I said, Steve, like what? what's the lesson that you learned? I'm really not following you. I thought I got approval. I paid the $400. I submitted my plan. He kept, he was so animate that I knew exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. And I said, Steve, I really don't. Yes, you do. I said, Steve, I don't. Help me understand. I never really got a clear explanation of what I did other than we sold it out of sequence, I think was what he was upset, but I don't understand why. And I, and I said, look, I went to the title company. They're the experts. I'd never done this before. The title company told you, talked to you. She came back to me and said, we got approval. Take him the plan and 400 bucks. I go, I thought I did everything that I was supposed to do. And you're still angry with me. And so the long and short is like, well, now you got to submit. I want the entire thing surveyed. So my survey went from a line east to west across a, a, a parcel to split it in north-south halves to now I had to survey the whole parcel. So my survey cost more than doubled right there. Sure. And that took time. So these, these surveyors in my area, are out, some of them are out six months, but this guy 
a case of beer and some nice talking. You know, he pushed me in front of the line, I think. But, you know, it extended my closing uh, time. So I paid more interest. I paid another payment, uh, interest payment. It cost me twice as much for the survey. I really ticked off the land information officer and he's probably gonna remember me. And I felt, I feel like my brand and my reputation got tarnished. And all because I think I, I trusted the, the gal at the title company. And I went and I talked to her and I said, look, you know, what happened here? I mean, I literally sat in front of her and I said, what happened here? Because I think I just screwed the pooch on this because next time I do this guy is going to remember me. And she's like, I don't know. I thought we did it exactly the way he said. I'm like, well, he is like really upset. <laughs> and I went so far as, you know, to, said, Steve, can I come up and talk to you? I mean, I want to come and meet you again and understand what we did wrong so I can learn. And he was like, I don't want to see you ever again. And I'm like, oh my God. So, wow. So that was an interesting part of the story. I, yeah. I might've burned a bridge there. Yeah. Well, it would be nice if you knew what you did different or did wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but, I still don't. I think yeah. the lesson from all that guys is call your township, use those call resources, your county, call your title company. Don't, even though you don't really know what you're doing a lot of times, don't completely turn it over to them. Make sure you double check and like maybe verify with people, like get them a phone call and just verify what you believe is the process. And mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I'm doing it right because I thought I was doing it right. And I still stepped on a landmine. So that's a lesson. So I yeah. learned, I learned a lot of in this, in this process and I made some notes if you want me to kind of run down. Sure. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So first off is targeting a property. Like where, if you're going to do this flip, like where, how do you know it's a good one? Right. The Fab Five, Fab Eight, whatever, will give you some general directions. Talk to Jake, talk to me, talk to your local land specialist, and they will probably have some opinions on what they think. Know the market. Either do the research yourself because you've studied it. And I know, Jake, you're kind of a data geek. Sometimes you like you like to really <laughs> like get to dive into that. Into that. Yep. Yeah. You got to know the market so that when a deal pops up in front of you and it's it appears too good to be true, it probably is, or it won't last long. Because if it's that good of a deal, somebody else is going to see it as well. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the right place and you know the market, you can respond pretty quickly. Responding quickly. I had a line of credit, cash, already set up because I planned on doing this in the sometime in the future. So in my case, I was able to get a line of credit set up against my rental property. Mm -hmm. You might be able to get a land, a line of credit set up against your home, perhaps, or, you know, maybe you've got a rich uncle that is willing to go in on it with you and he'll charge you a fee of 10% when you sell it or something, you know, a hard, a, a, a hard money lender, a private party lender. There are people that will do that and they'll do it for 10 to 12% of the loan. It's a high interest rate, but they'll give you the money quick and they want their money back in six months to a year with 10% interest or 12 or even 15. It can mm -hmm. be high. So those are three ways you can get it. Timing of the sale. I'm right now looking for my next one. And I would like to, you know, I'm looking in the fall and it's a 60, 90 day close. So maybe I buy it December and January and I close it by March and the snow comes out of here in April and I'm in there May, May June, July, I'm fixing it up. I'm making food plots and tree stands and hanging trail cameras and 
or I'm cleaning the place out, you know, what I'm cosmetically painting, cleaning, you know, be doing basic stuff. And then I'm starting the marketing in July with September, October, or, or August, September, maybe October is my heavy sales time. And know that the timing, you you accelerate the interest the closer you get to the deer season. It, it was like yawner for the first month. I, I was like, nobody's in, nobody's even checking on this nobody's pinging me on these websites that i'm on then september deer season open i started to get more then october it really started to pick up and i actually got my offer by november i'm telling you every day multiple times a day i was getting calls is it gone is it i'm like oh man and i think i could have sold it for 500 more an acre wow so timing was really important the, the, the transfer costs, the fines, the, 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 the cleanup, you got to calculate all that and you got to mm-hmm. anticipate a couple dumpsters worth of stuff and, or, you know, whatever you, you gotta, you kind of, kind of look at it. And I had a guy come out and say, yeah, I'd say you got two dumpsters, two 20 yard dumpsters. And you got it good. And I filled up one and three quarter dumpsters. So that guy was like spot on. So I kind of predicted those costs. In my case, it was sweat equity. Yeah, just a couple of weekends of doing work and it didn't have to be perfect because people would come out there and I knew it was such a like a cute little perfect size right in that sweet spot financially, which in my world, I would say is 150 to 300 is where most people are buyers. And I knew I was pricing it right there. Mm-hmm. So I knew I'd get a lot of activity. And then you got to have your sales commission. If you're selling through an agent, you're going to have closing costs. You're going to have marketing. Those are all fees that you could somewhat predict. And if you use that land calculator, you can throw it in. So while we were talking, I pulled up my land calculator and I can, I can give you some numbers. I think I'm pretty accurate on this, Jake. So I did run, I did run the numbers as best as this calculator would do it. It's not perfectly set up for what we're doing here, but I plugged in some numbers and Somebody out there smarter than me is probably going to go, God, he's way off. But I think I was pretty close. So let me let me get it. So I got to get my property report here. Okay. My cash on cash. Initial market value was 305000 I purchased it for 235000 I had, I don't know, I didn't even add up all my, all my numbers, Jake, but mm-hmm. I think I came out with a cash on cash return. Where is it? Buy and hold projection. Cash on cash, I think is one of the most important calculations when it comes to these types of transactions as well. Yeah. Gosh, I honestly, dude, I'm looking at my phone and I can't <laughs> see it fast enough. You might want to edit this out. <laughs> no, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. Yeah. Okay. That's it's regardless, you know when it you know when it was a good transaction, regardless yeah. based on your your calculations there. And I wonder, you know, and and I'll ask you this before we close out too, but I mean, what's you're rolling you plan to roll this into obviously a the next type of deal you find here, like you said, in right. next few months or six yeah. months. Yeah. And that's, that's probably key. So let's not get into these numbers specific. I can share them sure. with you later after I figure it out, but yep. Yeah. So what do you do with that? So that's another thing you got to think about. So now I'm going to have, I'm going to have some taxes on that. So, you know, I came out with 50, when I say $50,500 of profit, yep. 50,597. Yeah. There's going to be some taxes on that. So, you know, your tax rate is going to factor into that. So, you know, that's not all cash in my pocket, but I'll bet you, I'll bet you that I got 40 grand cash in my pocket. You know, when you look at a property that is 
you know, 10% down, 40,000 can buy you a $400,000 property. If you can find the right lender, 20% will buy a $200,000 property. So right now I've got the money. Uh, yeah, you're checking your calculator. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was yeah. gonna crush it. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it is. So, I'll do it. so you can, you can go out and you can buy the next one. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yep. two hundred thousand. Okay, so for fifty thousand dollars, for forty thousand dollars, let's say, I can go and buy a two hundred thousand dollar property, and maybe you know, if I can, if I can improve a property, and I know I can through good marketing, mm-hmm. I regularly will improve on a property and I'll sell it. You know. an acre above market averages. So let's just say I go out and I buy, let's just make it easy, but I buy 80 acres or in my area, $2,500 an acre. I just spent my 200,000 right there. And if I have 80 acres and I increase it in value because I, I do the work and I do the cleanup by $500 an acre, 80 times $500 an acre is 40,000 bucks. I forced, yeah. I forced my equity up by mowing, maybe painting, cleaning, hang a couple tree stands. My total cost to do that, I mean, maybe, it's, I don't know, 3,000 bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. I could sell listeners a bank's blind, you know, a couple, two man bank's blind for 1,800, 2,500 bucks and put one of those up and you buy it for me at a discount. So you're building in a little bit of that. Yeah, hang a couple of tree stands and a couple of cameras, and but three to five hundred dollars easy, guys. I mean, you move up forty thousand bucks. So now you came into it with forty, you made forty. Now you got eighty. Yeah, we'll eighty thousand bucks to work with, right? Yeah, and that twenty percent down, then you're at four hundred thousand dollar property. Now you're at a four hundred thousand dollar property, and you know this is a this is a video that I want to do for my vlog is becoming a, a land millionaire, you know, habitat manager millionaire. That's, That's how you do it. You're halfway there. You're halfway there in two or three moves. Yeah. And now, if you're young, like you, you uh-huh. got time. You got a lot of flips in front of you. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this though. So, do you think, as I think this, this has obviously gotten much more popular, even from the '90s, and then you look at uh, even three, four years ago, it's a lot more popular. Do you think that the market becomes too sophisticated that? You know, it's going to be a lot harder to get those three or four hundred dollar deals. Or do you think that that's still quite a ways away? Your gut feeling? My gut feeling is, yeah, there's more guys talking about doing it, but I actually, yeah, but actually doing it, I don't see because I what I hear all the time is I can't find any land, uh, I I can't buy anything, and I ask them all, well, how many offers did you make? <laughs> and most of it's, well, I haven't made one yet. Okay, well. No wonder you're not finding a deal. You haven't made any offers. Yeah. And so then I'll ask, well, what's your process? Let's talk about your process. Are you pre-approved? Like how much money do you have? Yeah. No, I haven't talked to the bank yet. I'm like, okay, so you're going hunting without a license. So first off, you know, you got to go talk to a banker or you got to find your rich uncle, or you got to find some way to at least get some money and scrape it together. Instead of buying, you know, five to 10 Red Bulls a week, save your, you know, four bucks a can and, you know, squirreled away. I mean, mm-hmm. if there's a will, there's a way and you yeah. just got to make your mind up. This is what I'm going to do uh-huh. and then get organized. And I talk about this a lot is like, get close to the center of influence, find your favorite land specialist and get in his back pocket and be his buddy and call him up and have money. And I've had guys come and ride with me and like, can I just come and like follow you and, you know, and find Jake's, 
you know, podcasts you already have, find the American Landman and, and subscribe to them and watch them like mm-hmm. I do. I listen to your podcast as I drive down the road. I listen to 20 land beat episodes this morning from Whitetail Properties while I was on my my exercise and, you know, start to get your mindsets because I tell you, fellas, it's like wherever your head goes, your butt follows every single time, right? Every single time. And if you want something and you think about it, that's how the world energy happens. It's just, yeah. it's just where you put your is. focus is where things are, you know, where the results are going to be. And I, I think lose focus, they don't, they can't maintain it or patience. It's yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Which I think is just the people that want to do the due diligence and, and line it up and fantastic. And I, I get that. I think there's a, just like you said before, like there's a the misconception of only extremely wealthy people can buy land, but I think that myth is slowly being debunked one person at a time. I would say, you know, and think about this land business that we talk about all the time is not so much wealth, like how much cash, $50,000 minus my taxes that, you know, Neil has in his pocket. That's great. I mean, I literally right now, I'll tell you right now, I got 50,597 bucks sitting in an account. Mm -hmm. You know what I've been doing in the last couple of days? I've been looking at snowmobiles. I want to go buy a snowmobile. And, you know, and I'm like, no, I stopped myself. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Instead of the three or four times a year that I go ride a snowmobile, I'll just rent it. And I'll spend, you know, $600 renting a snowmobile versus 12,000 buying it. And I'm going to keep that money and I'm going to go buy something. So go buy an asset that's paying you something, Mm -hmm. buy a rental property that's paying you something. That's how I got started. And I bought an, we're getting off on a tangent, but I bought three $80,000 townhomes that are now worth, and they're paid off. They're worth $750,000. I have $750,000 of equity sitting that now I can go do this. I didn't have that 12, almost 15 years ago. I didn't. When I bought that first $80,000 townhome, my butt was puckering because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to deal with renters and everything's going to go wrong and the toilets aren't going to flush and none of that happened. But I got in and then I bought a second then I bought a third and then I bought my farm and then I flipped it. And and every time I kind of like, I did a 1031 exchange and, and I, you start to get more knowledgeable. I got the app and, and the evaluator app and I plugged in numbers and, and I started listening to bigger pockets. And then Jake and I started talking and I mean, this is all <laughs> sure. I think about it, but, yeah. but it's snowballs and where your head goes, your butt follows. Let me ask Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would you rather buy uh, more rental properties as an investment perspective or more recreational land. Cause I have yeah. this, I have this battle myself and I am about as deer centric as my life can get. That's the people I talk to every day. And so I was like, well, I know recreational land better. That's where that's like, it's just so much more natural on paper. Maybe it makes more sense to buy a duplex or a triplex. Yeah. But I, I think I'm still probably going to stick with recreational, even though maybe dollars and cents, it doesn't quite make as great a sense. But from a, a passion standpoint, it's still solid. What's your take? Well, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this, but I'm going to give you some of my you know, 57-year-old wisdom. Sure. Every time you talk about investing, they, they talk about diversification. So I am of the mindset of don't put all your eggs in one basket. There is something to be said about that. So in my investment portfolio, I've got money in the stock market and I have a broker that I deal with. And then I've got my rental properties, my residential rental properties, and I got my 
home that I own. And then I've got a lake lot that, so that's a different market. Doesn't have a cabin on, but we're looking at building a cabin and I do a little VRBO and I rent it out. And then I got my farm and I bought my farm at 375. I think it's got a market value of like six right now. And I did a flip in, in one way, when you talk about diversification, I'm diversified across multiple asset classes right there, yep. heavily emphasizing real estate with probably equal assets of recreational farm, residential property. Mm -hmm. um, and so diversification, you're going to be less knowledgeable about any single one thing, but that doesn't mean you're an idiot when it comes to any of them, right? I mean, with that app that we just talked about, you guys, I'm telling you right now, you get that app and you go in there and it, it'll, it'll take a little bit to like understand what you're plugging in there, but you do it 10 times you will be light years ahead of investors when you walk into a banker and you spit out this paper report that has, here's the data, here's my objections, here I ran it all the way out for 30 years. And if I, if I increase my rents on the scale, on the pace that it tells you to do, it gives you ROI, cash on cash, internal rates of return, loan to value, sales. I mean, it, even, it predicts everything. And I've sat in front of bankers and like, holy cow, where did you get this? I'm like, it's an app. I did it on my iPhone. So mm -hmm. you learn these tools and you start to get around people. And I think being diversified can be a positive because let's say land values drop and they, everything's cyclical and I lose a little bit there, but maybe my lake property that I build on or hope to build on the VRBO goes through the roof. Maybe that goes up and this goes down or my rent, you know, my rentals, I lose one of my triplex for two months, three months. Cause it goes vacant. Cause I don't fill it. I just lost one third of my income, but yet my crop rent, they're still paying me $150 an acre. And this new farm that I'm looking at has 200 acres. So there's $40,000 of income coming over there. And so when you diversify, and you get more doors and more things, you got more verticals of income coming to you. That could be a good thing because that kind of hedges your risk. Sure. On the other hand, you could get really, really, really good and be the guy in the market buying land. And you can brand yourself as the guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I wouldn't say that's me, but I'm pretty well known around here as a guy that likes to buy stuff and things come to you because right, yeah. so focused. you get, you get fed deals because think like, Oh, maybe he'll want to buy this. And, you know, I know, I know some people that have bought deals like that and it's, you know, Hey, this person might be, it's yeah. That's how I think some of the great deals happen is you have a reputation of buying stuff and they want to at least feed you to them, you know, feed it to you first. I get calls from, I got a call, I don't know, three months ago from a lady says, I got your card and I looked you up on the internet. And so, so you buy land. I said, well, yeah, I'm not a land buyer. I'm a, I'm a real estate land sales guy. And I told her, but I said, yeah, I'm always looking for an opportunity. Like, what do you have? And so that branding and being in that circle, like doing it, I mean, the energy comes to you to bring deals start coming to you. And, you know, you never feel like, you know, everything you got to have a certain level of Absolutely. risk tolerance. I mean, I could tell you in October, I was talking to my buyer, Drew. And he, he wanted to get on this property and he's like, can I, can I go set up tree stand? And I said, no, I don't want you out there yet. Can I go set up cameras? No, I don't want you out there yet. 
Can I please go hunt? No, I don't want you out there. Can I pay you some money to hunt? No, I don't want. And he's like, you know, why? And I'm like, well, you know, Drew, uh, it's just easier to keep it simple. Let's just let, let's just get it sold to you and then you can do whatever. I'm trying to get it done. So how was your loan? You know, you had to sell your house and then you had to get a loan to buy my place. And then there's like a lot of steps on his side that was like, oh man, yeah, getting me a little nervous. It's like, is this, you know, but I started talking to him and I mean, guys like you and I were kind of cut from the same cloth and you can kind of sense it's like, now we're kind of buds, you know? And I, then I finally said, Hey man, why don't you go get a cellular camera and put it out there. So now I let him put a camera up and he was, he got some pictures and he got some bigger bucks that I'm getting on my farm and he was chomping at the bit. So now like, you know, insider truth here, I was like reeling him in. I'm like, I got him. He is not backing out of this. He saw some big bucks. And, and at the same time, I took it as a chance to get to know him and go, how's it going, Jake? Yeah, it's going good, Neil. They, True. you know, we're closing our property and my, now I'm just waiting for the appraisal and, and they tell me, you know, number, November 10th. And I'm like, okay, you know, and we're just talking. And so the anxiety level came down because I knew I had my guy. Mm-hmm. And so, but there was some of that. I'm like, God, every month I'm earning interest. I'm bleeding money, you know? And I knew I had room in the sale. I knew I was going to be Okay. But, you know, I wanted more, you know, I, I really wanted to <laughs> maximize a big payday. I wanted to get on the land podcast and go, I made 70,000. <laughs> I'd say you did wow. pretty darn all right. <laughs> I think it turned out okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it unlocks the the next transaction too, which could be, maybe it'll be, maybe that'll be the grand slam home run. Well, I am looking at it right now. I'll get a quick view. There it sure. is right there. Okay. This is a, a four unit. And I got to do the analysis on that app I told you, but I'm going to buy this thing at the purchase price right now, 749, 749,000 mm-hmm. gross income, $47,580 wow. a year if their numbers are accurate. And one thing that I do is I, I, I looked at the rents and I don't know if you can see that, but it says yes. 900 right, right there. Yep. Yep. Rents and there's four units, 900, 900, 950 and 1,050. That brings $3,800 a month in rent. I know this area because I, again, you know, your market, you know what it can do. I know that I can raise rents in that area and I can get $1,500. Wow. Not quite doubling rent. So by doing that, I can bring in a, probably another, I don't know, I'm going to say $600 a month across four, four units, $2,400 times 12. Yep. Times yep. Um, That's 28,000 on 28, top of the 47 already. Right. So he's, he, you know, he's got 22,200 rent income when brought to market, but you know, Mm -hmm. maybe his market is lower than my market, but with good marketing, I can, I think I can get it up pushing $1,500 a month. The point is I right away, just by simply a stroke of a pen and yeah, I got to push some people out, but I got to bring other people in and there's some hassle factor and risk, but I, I can move that value of that property up major just by mm-hmm. simply increasing the rent. Yeah. So you ask me what I'm going to do. This is my next purchase. I'm looking at that and we're going to take a look at it. On the other hand, I got a 420 acre farm that wow. I'm looking at and I'm considering taking this money that I just made, selling my farm and rolling it with a 1031 exchange into a 420 acre farm that brings in right now about $40,000 of income. And I think I can actually cash flow, make it at least a net zero yeah. by buying, bringing that money in. I'll have, you know, call it six or seven hundred thousand dollars mortgage, the forty-four, you know, forty thousand dollars a year 
I'm going to be close to net zero costing me nothing. And I moved up. And so, you know, now I'm a land millionaire right there. Boom. My next move could happen. Yeah. Exciting. That'll be, uh, uh, Episode number three with you when, All right. when you cross. When you cross. So, no, I, I, I really hope. I really appreciate you taking the time and the transparency. You're walking through this from start to finish. I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think there's always a lot of, I wouldn't say red tape, but there's, if you're not in it every day, these are hard conversations to listen in on. And that's the beauty of this podcast. You know, someone can be a fly on the wall and listen to what you learned, what you did and, and how it broke down and how someone like yourself thinks and how they can maybe uh, consider that as they're looking to maybe buy partial number one or partial number two or whatever it is for them. Well, I know these podcasts work, Jake, because I actually got a call from a guy, one of your listeners Oh, cool. Found me through the social media plugs that we do. Mm-hmm. And he called me up and we talked, or I think he, he I think it was a messenger message, but we were yep. I'm like, call me, just call me up. It's okay. I'll talk to you. I guys, I'll be the first to tell you. I do. There's people that know way more than me about this. And there's so much more technical with the numbers, but I'm probably 75% of where I would probably like to be as knowledge, but you know, you can't let not knowing something stop you. I mean, just get started, make that first purchase. Don't worry about internal rates of return and, you know, ROI. Just, I'm going to buy it for 60. I'm going to sell for a hundred. I'm going to put 5,000 into it. I'm going to make 35,000 bucks less my taxes and that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're probably going to come out of it with 20 grand. Just, if you just spitball it, you're, you're going to be okay. Sure. So call a guy like one of us or somebody in your area and just say, how do I get started? Can you help me? And we will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's Thanksgiving. Thank you for taking the time uh, for to record this. I have to grab uh, Thanksgiving lunch here shortly, okay. and I'm sure you have plans as well. So I'll yes. give you an opportunity to uh, reiterate where people can find you, and okay. uh, and we'll we'll disperse from there. All right, go to whitetailproperties.com, click on the agents tab, and type in Neil Hogger. You'll find my phone number and my email right there. If you want to check me out on Facebook, go to Facebook and look up Neil Hogger Land Specialist. I'm on Instagram at hashtag Wisconsin Land Man. And I have my YouTube vlog, The American Land Man. You can simply go to YouTube, type in Neil Hogger Land Specialist, and you'll find The American Land Man vlog. Please like, subscribe, and comment. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you once again. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. And we have a Trail Camera Radio episode coming out Tuesday. And then we have the Deer Gear podcast on Fridays as well. So be sure to check those out later this week. And have a fantastic week. I am tentatively headed to Kansas today for a quick rifle season hunt. And uh, hopefully just go out there and have a little bit of fun. And maybe come back and catch the second shotgun season here in Illinois. So anyways, until next time, see you guys. Have a great week.